everybody. Welcome back to Cover B. Welcome back to Cover B Graphic Novelties. We have a very special one for you today. We are going to be talking about Mouse. Yes. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, Chris and T, isn't this just a shameless cash-in on current news cycle drama? Yes. <laughs> no. But also... <laughs> Also, we wanted to, you know, obviously, for those who don't know, uh, a school board has recently banned, in Tennessee, has banned Mouse from their library for superficial reasons. Um, We won't get into all of that, but what did spawn out of this is a bunch of people buying Mouse in solidarity for the creator, Art Spiegelman, as well as in protest of the banning. Um... So what we kind of thought is, you know, we have this platform of graphic novelties where we talk about graphic novels and give you kind of our thoughts and reviews. It would be nice if people who wanted to buy into this story knew how to approach it from an idea of a a contextual idea, an idea of uh, what it's about, what it's like, a general review about it, uh, beyond just the hype surrounding it. We want to give you an idea for anybody who, you know might be interested but doesn't really want to go in just because of the fervor around it uh we wanted to give you an idea of what mouse is like mouse obviously is a classic so this is by you know no means the first review ever to exist for this book it's been around since it's been collected since 1992 um but we just wanted to give you our take on it we've both read it t's read it more recently than i have but we've both read uh mouse uh in an educational and academic capacity as well so we've already done analysis on it uh, in, in our lives so we just kind of wanted to give you an idea of what it's like yeah so uh and also yeah cash in on hashtags um <laughs> <laughs> this is perfectly transparent that's why it's on our mind um so mouse uh is the story it's effectively a retelling of the events of the holocaust it, it follows There's a framing narrative that follows the creator, Art Spiegelman, having a conversation with his father, whom with he has a contentious relationship and has been estranged to for a few years, uh, named Vladek. Vladek was a Polish Jew uh, who eventually, after dealing with the Nazis, Nazi invasion for an amount of time, ended up in a concentration camp. And it tells the story of him experiencing these events while also trying to maintain his family and his relationship and his connection to his uh, wife Anya, Art Spiegelman's mom, who did tragically commit suicide. Um, something that plays a factor throughout the story. Beyond just being a memoir or a biography for Vladek, uh, the story also does a lot of ruminations on guilt, both survivor's guilt and just... Spiegelman comments at various moments on his guilt of making a career or making a claim off of the bodies of these people involved in the Holocaust and things like that. So it plays around with a lot of themes of guilt, uh, themes of racism, themes of the absurdity of these sorts of things, fascist ideology and things like that, Um, as well as just being an interesting character piece on coming together in tragedy, but also how tragedy never really leaves you. Uh, again, there's a framing narrative, so we follow Art 
kind of throughout his life as he interacts with his father, as well as a few pieces that actually take place after the first volume of Mouse came out, uh, where we actually see Art interacting with his therapist, talking about the release of Mouse, and that's when he kind of ruminates on these ideas of guilt for building the story off of this tragic thing. Uh, it's an incredible piece. Like I said, it's a classic. I think still to this date, it is both the first and only graphic novel to ever win a Pulitzer Prize. I don't know if that's changed. Um, that's just a factoid. I've known about it for a while. <laughs> uh, it's at the very least the first to receive a Pulitzer Prize. Um, and it's a masterwork. T, what do you think? One of the things I think is so powerful about Mouse is that the framing story does an incredible job placing a very humanized, realistic perspective onto Vladek. Mm -hmm. You know, we in school have limited access to um, more firsthand type tellings of Holocaust experiences. And one that we get a lot is, you know, um, Anne Frank. And Anne Frank is kind of lifted in such a way because all we have is her telling and we have, she was so young and it's so tragic and it's so specific. What's nice about this is that it makes Vladek very much a real person. Mm -hmm. He has flaws. He has a contentious relationship with his son. He lost his wife to suicide. He, he has a contentious relationship with his new wife too. He with his new wife sort of compares her to Anya to with his daughter-in-law. I mean, he has, characteristics that in the book art describes is i feel bad writing about this sometimes because i feel like he looks like a stereotype <laughs> and what i think is so powerful about the framing narrative and about making vladek seem like a real person with real flaws and real issues is that it validates his story and doesn't hyper fixate on the victimhood of it it makes it more real it makes it less this story that we hear that's, you know, retold and, and changed and, and glorified almost mm -hmm. and makes it, no, this is a real guy and you can see him in these circumstances and handling yeah. the things the way that he handles them. You can feel how that makes sense in the context of the way he does things now and how he tries to take back open boxes of food to the grocery store and how he, mm -hmm. you know tries to get on the roof to avoid hiring a handyman, like all these things. It, it not only informs his experience and validates the retelling of his story, mm -hmm. but then the things that he experienced inform the type of person he is today. And I don't think it ever, you know, necessarily excuses any of his bad behaviors, Yeah, but it, it informs them. And yeah. I think it's really interesting. Exactly. It it doesn't... At no point is the character of Vladek, who's a real person, uh, ever brought into... Ever placed upon a pedestal as a survivor. You're a survivor, so we're going to treat you as this noble, heroic exactly. individual. They never downplay the respect due to him as a survivor, as a, you know, it's sad that you had to go through this tragedy. Uh, but at the same time, like you said, his quirks, his more negative attributes are front and center, which is because he's a human. He's a person. Exactly. 
Spiegelman is writing about a person and his interaction with this person. Spiegelman does the same thing to himself. He doesn't present himself as this. Oftentimes, writers, when they inject themselves into a story, make themselves quirky and fun. And they might have negative attributes, but, you know, it's look how fun and quirky I am. exactly. Spiegelman doesn't really do this. He's very aware of his own shortcomings and the things he's dealing with. He's a very depressed individual. Um, he's got a lot of emotional baggage. He does have the survivor's guilt kind of levied towards his brother who died during the war. Mm-hmm. Um, and this idea, this feeling that he'll never live up to what this like perfect child could have been. Would have been, yeah. Um, but, you know, he, he so he paints himself that way. He paints his father that way. And in doing so, he just makes the story, the framing narrative itself is so organic that the story being told feels so much more organic. Exactly. You know, we see real people telling real stories. It's not this, you know, hallmark, glazed over, veneered, kind of fancy, like, romanticized, romanticization, romant, romant, it's not a romantic version of... (laughs) what's happening i guess yes um (laughs) of what's happening uh it's a real person telling their real account um and it's that's an amazing way of approaching it and you know it one of the themes that pops up a few times uh that i think is really relevant to what's happening today you know with the book being banned is there's a few people that mentioned this concept of like but why do the stories need to be told? You know, like, what purpose does exist? I think his therapist actually mentions at one point, like, maybe it's best if these stories are just kept silent. You know, yeah. the people who died can't tell their story. So maybe to be fair to them, we don't tell the story. Uh, there's this idea that exists in a lot of tragedy that, like, you know, for creators, I think specifically it's levied at creators, uh you know, telling the story, are you just trying to monopolize or monetize this tragedy? Right. Uh, but, you know, there's these stories need to be told. And in mainly both for the survivors, but mainly for the people that were lost. Mm-hmm. It's important to have these contextual stories out there and to have these you know, stories told from perspectives and from tragedies and from uh, cultures that people might not be able to relate to just hearing about it. Actually being able to immerse in it uh, is important. And that's a big part of this is art various times kind of ruminates on like, why am I doing this? Why? What am I getting out of this? Right. You know, am I just building a throne on top of this tragedy or am I like... What is the purpose to this? And I think the purpose means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. You know, hearing about a tragedy, hearing about a historical moment, hearing about some of the more negative things in our history can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And it might make people very uncomfortable. There's a lot of that happening nowadays. There's a lot of talk about various things in people's histories that are making people uncomfortable and causing a lot of discord. Uh, but those things are important to have in the catalog of information that we have available to us because it keeps us open to the possibility of them happening again. It keeps us open to change. 
you know, it keeps us open to the idea that we don't have to repeat the same mistakes. I was about to say, you know, people who forget history are doomed to repeat it. Yeah. And, you know, one such example of this is that, you know, I I like to bring up how he mentions, like, I feel bad depicting Vladek like this because it makes him look like a stereotype. But what's mm. so interesting is that Vladek is not the only Jew depicted in this book. In fact, he's one of many that we see because we see his wife, Mala. We see, mm-hmm. you know, neighbors. We see the therapist. We see all these people. And Vladek, in his stereotype, quote unquote, is the outlier. He is yeah. the inconsistency amongst everyone else. Mm-hmm. And... If anything, that invalidates the stereotype in and of itself. Yeah. And it's important to see depictions of this to help keep things like these stereotypes at bay. Yeah. To kind of prove, like, no, that's not real. And these these horrible um, atrocities that were built on these stereotypes mm-hmm. were wrong. And that's a, you know, that's a huge thing that this book does. And it does it in such a way that not being a graphic novel could never deliver it. This is a perfect example of, you know, the power of this medium mm-hmm. because there this book is a big experimentation on the absurdity of stereotyping mm-hmm. in that all. So it's for those who haven't read it, the story is told as real people, real people telling their real story, but they are presented visually as anthropomorphized animals mm-hmm. and all of the animals fit to nationalities and heritages. Mm-hmm. So the Jewish people are all represented as mouses. Mice. mice. Yep. Um, mouses. <laughs> I'm trying to talk for a living. M-A-U-S-C-S. Um, <laughs> yeah. The Nazis are all presented as cats, obviously building on the predatory nature therein. Uh, the Poles, I believe, are pigs. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the Polish people are pigs. The French are frogs. Frogs. Americans are dogs. Americans are dogs, and the I think Swiss, Swedish. Yes, the are Swiss are Swiss, or Swedish. Swedish, Swedish are deer. Yes. Um. Again, it's been longer for me since I've read this. Uh, T's read it more recently, but um. So in doing this, you know. Spiegelman has built a story that's about this fascist nation and this fascist push to stereotype everybody and catalog everybody and categorize everybody. And he constantly reflects on the absurdity of that. And he delivers the absurdity of that in the book itself. You have, you know, mice walking their dog and stuff like that. But then the American people are dogs and how silly it is to label people Mm -hmm. and just paint everybody with the same brush just because of their heritage or nationality. He has a moment where his wife is actually French and converted to Judaism uh, in order to please his father, I think. Yep, his, it was 100%. A decision made mainly to make dad happy. Um, and he reflects on, you know, should I... I had a conflict in building this story on if I should make her a frog or a mouse. Yep. You know? And she's like, well, of course I should be a mouse. I'm a Jew now, too. And he's yep. like... But are you really? (laughs) And so, you know, there's a lot of, you know, examining stereotypes as a whole and presenting them in this absurd way, even in between the dialogue, even when it's not written, even when it's just the art itself showing you how silly these things are. There's a point where uh, Vladek and Anya pretend to be uh, Polish, just Polish citizens, Mm -hmm. non-Jewish Polish people, and they just put on like pig masks 
and like tie them around and you can see these mice wearing these pig masks pretending to be these what they're not uh and it's this idea of you know we can't escape our identities but also this idea of how silly it is to assume that oh you're jewish you're going to look a certain way or be a certain way well and there's even an instance to the at the very beginning of the second edition um of mouse the the part two book two and as art is trying to work on the second book and struggling to do so he is depicted as sitting at his desk with a mouse mask mm -hmm. on and the implication there is i believe in the scene with his therapist too they're both exactly just men wearing mouse masks right and there is some kind of depth there because he is struggling so much with his Jewish heritage, with understanding the horrible atrocities that happened to, to the Jewish people during the Holocaust and to his parents. He, you're, there's kind of this implication there of, am I even a real Jew? I didn't have to struggle with any of this. I didn't have to go through any of this. I didn't have, you know, I'm not my brother who died, who, you know, effectively... Uh, did assisted suicide to avoid getting sent to the the gas chambers like mm -hmm. i didn't do any of that so am i even of like valid as a jew yeah and, do and i have a connection to these people in this story that went through all this and experienced all this you know is my connection purely superficial or am i truly connected to this yeah does my heart. is my heritage even valid if i didn't struggle the way they did exactly so it's you know there's a ton to take out of this book you know be mindful that what we've laid out is just the surface but the biggest thing that this book approaches is this idea of stereotypes and that's the biggest thing that people can learn from this book is the absurdity that goes into having a fascist outlook on people having yep. an extreme outlook of all these people are this way and all these people are this way yep. that's what we're banning <laughs> that's what we're losing there's literally if it gets removed there's literally whole college courses explicitly on this book mm -hmm. and and going deep into the implications and the the you know different messages and and how those messages are depicted and the validity of them and how they're you know why they're more valid than other messages we get mm -hmm. and so it's shocking to me that we are banning i i believe particularly this book was banned they were trying to use this book to um teach the holocaust in a middle school setting um because anne frank is too young Mm. And no longer relatable, and they've already covered that. And this is a great text that can really pull a younger audience in. And the things that they didn't want the kids to see were a couple of swear words and an instance where, you know, the the Nazi soldiers kill a child. Yeah. The scene where the child is killed is practically out of frame. Yeah. The swear words, there's like two in the whole book. I think they mm -hmm. say shit and goddamn. And that's it. I think there's an ex. I think bitch too. Maybe yes, mentioned. they might have been one instance of bitch, and they're it's so minimal and so limited. There's so much more in a Marvel movie, in a TV show, TikTok, in TikTok, <laughs> you know, in anything. I mean? like, all these kids are on TikTok anyway, and like you scroll through TikTok and it's just f bombs abound. 
You know? I mean, if any of these kids play any type of online game, yeah. any of these yeah. kids in a Call of Duty setting, it's abs- I mean... It's absurd to think that swear words <laughs> are still a corrupting agent. It's literally... It, it's We're at a point in society where it's naive to think that you're protecting kids from swear words to some degree. And in the instance, they were even opposed... The, the teachers were suggesting, let's get iterations where the word is majority wiped out, mm-hmm. where it's like just an S and then white space. So the implication there is that you don't even see the word. You just have to know it to understand the context. And they can't remove it entirely because that affects the copyright. And they were against even that. Mm-hmm. And the implication that this text that is so important and articulate of stereotypes and what actually happened in the Holocaust and the relationship between, you know, people and how things happened and the history of it all, that that is less important than a kid seeing S blank is ghastly. Yeah. It's ghastly. It's, you know, there's some sort of tragic irony involved in the concept of banning books that are meant to give a cautionary outlook on fascism. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, it's I don't want to go too deep into because we could sit here and talk all day about the implication of banning books and why this book got banned and what's being claimed and what's actually being delivered. It is tragic, though. This is a great book for understanding that moment in history. This is a great book for understanding not even just that moment, but the ripples that that moment had through the people that experienced it, the people that knew people that experienced it or were related to them Mm -hmm. and society as a whole coming out of that. Yep. You know, when you accept that this book, you know, started out as kind of a smaller project, but then gained all this acclaim in the early 90s, it shows what kind of power those stories still had. Yes. Even 30, 40, 50 years later. And it's tragic. It is it is tragic to see. I highly recommend anybody with interest picks up this book. You know, it's... It's a classic, and it's earned its right as a classic. 100%. Looking at it non-critically, just some details about it. It is all in black and white. Yep. Something to take away. It is a indie book that is more focused on the journalism side, so it's very text-heavy. Yep. And it is very dark. Obviously, it is about the Holocaust, but there's also you know, concepts of suicide, children being harmed... People being harmed. Active racism. Active I, I racism, mean... family drama. So there's a lot of trigger warnings there yes. to be aware of before you go into this. Don't read this if you're not in the right headspace for it. Read something happy until you get into the right headspace. Talk to somebody until you get to the right headspace and then pick this book up. Um, it comes in, for the most part, I've always seen it in, the one I have is like a two volume slipcase. I think that version still exists but i think there's also a deluxe version that's just one book Mm. with both volumes in it uh i might be wrong i've seen that one around uh obviously i have one so i haven't bought myself a new one so i don't know what the market looks like for these right now but uh it is at least two volumes so if you get a book that says mouse one make sure you also get mouse Mouse two two. (laughs) because i think they sell them individually probably but uh one thing to note too is that while the book is yes very dark um it is black and white it's also very cute. I mean, that's something that's very interesting. And one of the reasons why I think it's such an approachable book for a younger audience, like a middle school age 
uh, uh, audience is that the art is cute. I mean, they're mice. <laughs> they're mice and they're cats. And while there are horror, you know, grotesque things depicted to some extent, a lot of the time half off frame, um, it's very easy. It's very consumable yeah. because it's very cute and it's and it's nice and it's clean and it's kind of it, it's it's a conflicting feeling where you'll consume a lot of it and then you stop and you go oh geez and suddenly you feel kind of the pressure of what you just read and the mm-hmm. implications of that it has to you because it is very consumable because it is very kind of lightheartedly drawn yeah. to some extent it's it's an incredibly well done book it's tragic that it's being deprived from certain people so i hope if you're somebody out there that like i said heard about mouse always wanted to check it out now that it's in the news cycle so hardcore you're just curious about it i hope you go out and get it support this story get it out there proliferate it uh because it's wonderful it's fantastic pick up a copy you can a lot of the time you can go get this one from the library Mm -hmm. um granted i have heard on multiple cases that it is currently checked out and on hold for a while mm-hmm. <laughs> which is great which is great we love that so i know there was a comic book store owner that was willing to ship it to anybody who wanted it maybe he's still doing that i don't know hey hit me up i'll ship you mine <laughs> <laughs> why not uh but that's gonna do it for us like i said it's very tragic that this book is being taken away from certain people i hope this isn't a trend of things to come unfortunately uh that would be very sad. We should never ban books. Books should not be banned. That's my stance on it. Uh, all you're doing is depriving people from increasing their ability to think critically and analyze sources effectively mm-hmm. and limiting the knowledge that they get, making them easily malleable to people who might want to disuse their connections. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's my thought on it. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Hopefully we didn't get too preachy. Uh, <laughs> if you want more episodes of Cover B, you can find them at CoverBpodcast.com. You can also follow us on social media. We are on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Cover B Podcast. So again, thank you for listening. I hope you get your hands on mouse. I hope you have a good week. Uh, get out there and share important literature with each other. Yes. As always, I have been Chris. This has been T. Yep. And you have been listening to, to Cover, Cover B. B. Bye, have a good everybody. Day.